Bhumagyanatimirandasya Gyananjana Salakaya Chakshurumiritamyena Tasmai Shri Gurave Namaha Arjunulambita Bhujo Kanakabhadato Sankirtanaya Kapitaro Kamalaya Takshu Vishwambaro Dvijabaro Yugadharma Palo Bande Jagat Priyakaro Karuna Bhutaro He Krishna Karuna Sindhu Dina Bandhu Jagatpate Gopisha Gopika Kanta Radha Kanta Namostute Tapta Ganchana Gaurangi Radhe Vrindavanishwari Prishabhanu Sute Devi Pranamami Hari Priye Shri Gauri Vashnav Guru Parampara ki jai, Krantarashimad Bhagavatam ki jai, Kaur Bhaktivinda ki jai, Kaur Premanande. Good afternoon. Continuing our discussion of Srimad Bhagavatam that we left off this morning, mentioning the fact that the first verse of the Bhagavatam is mentioned in Chaitanya Charitamrita, Chaitanya Charitamrita being the distilled essence of the entire text of Srimad Bhagavatam. Mentions this verse in uh, three places. We find through the pen of Krishna's Kaviraj Goswami, Ramananda Roy citing this verse. We find Chaitanya Mahaprabhu citing it twice, once to Sanatana Goswami, once to Prakashananda Saraswati. And each instance, a certain aspect of the verse is highlighted. first instance, as you may know, Ramananda was one of the teachers of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. The idea that one should have a teacher, we can say is much emphasized in Gaur Leela. Krishna, of course, himself in the context of his Leela as a guru. But as Gore, when Krishna comes, then he accepts several gurus. His initiating guru, Ishwarapuri, his sannyas guru, Keshava, Bharati, and his, as he considered, Ragmar guru, Ramananda Roy. With regard to his inner esoteric pursuit, to experience himself from the perspective of Radha, thereby to taste her ecstasy, he got help from Ramananda Roy. And, of course, although Ramananda Roy gave him help by instructing him in so many ways, answering his inquiries, he considered that the answers themselves were actually, he was just an instrument through which Chaitanya Mahaprabhu was, was answering himself, just like a speaker box amplifying the truths of Rasananda. So, at any rate, the Lord had teachers. So he teaches us when he takes the role of a teacher himself that it's important to find a teacher and that there may be a plurality of teachers for that matter. In fact, the book Chaitanya Charitamrita begins with that idea when Krishna's Kaviraj salutes his gurus, Vande Gurun, 
says, and the Gurun is in the plural. So there's a place for that. Supporting, of course, as they will one another. So, Tene Brahma in the first verse, where you find this statement, which is what Ramananda Roy cited it for the purpose of just as in the dawn of creation, as one reading of this verse says, you, speaking to Gaur and seeing him as Krishna, amplified the Vedic knowledge in the heart of Brahma, that he might then be able to carry out the work of creation. And so all of his work, as wonderful as it was, is derived from you. You're the backing to that. So in the same way, whatever I've done here, you're the source of that. It's all coming from you. So the general idea from this we can draw, of course, is that the devotee feels that and experiences that because he or she lends himself or herself to be used for the purpose of Bhagawan, that he takes advantage and uses his devotee, speaks through his devotee. Therefore, sometimes found that Pujapachita Marsh like to cite Vyaso Veti Naveti Va. Hamvedi, what is it? Hamvedi Sukhamvedi Vyaso Veti Naveti Va. Shiva speaking, Hamvedi. I know the meaning of the Bhagavatam. Sukadev knows. Vyas may know, he may not know. Vyas was the author. This is his introductory verse here where he does namaskar that makes this pranam to the deity of the book Bhagavan Shishi Radha Krishna. He encourages us to meditate upon them. But So at any rate, the devotee thinks and feels, experiences that Bhagavan speaks through him. Vyas wrote the verse and he's the, as described in the text, the author of the text in his mature state of realization, after having compiled everything else. And still, verse I cited, it's actually from Chaitanya Charitamrita, it's a kind of a slight twist on another verse, an older verse, <sighs> cited by, I guess, the deity in Banaras, when the great Sridhar Swami, who was so much regarded by Chaitanya Mahaprabhu and thought to be one, if not the original commentator on the Bhagavatam, presented his commentary and its emphasis on devotion was questionable there in Banaras, not really a friendly place for bhakti. Banaras is more of a gyan and mayavad and a shunyavad stronghold. But anyway, they placed the book before the deity of Shiva there. And this verse came back, since it said a version of this verse. Parikshit Maharaja Vaitina Veda, Raj may know, may not know. But Krishna Das, anyway, has written it like this. Shiva, I know, Sukadev knows, Vyas may know, he may not know. And Pujapat Sridharmarsh liked to use this verse to say that through the Guru something may come, that he may also hear something wonderful. So it always strikes me and reminds me that the part that the audience has to play. They usually come as spectators, but they should understand that we are, as such gatherings are inviting the listeners to be participants, not spectators. It's not a form of 
entertainment, or if it is, you're supposed to join in, <laughs> in the entertainment, uh, so to speak, join the party, participate. So, bodhayantas, in the language of the Gita, parasparam tushanticha, ramanticha. The devotees are characterized by mutually enlightening one another. I remember sitting before Pujapada Sridhar Maharaj, and this was in the last days of his presence amongst us, and he said more than one occasion that so many things you are drawing out from me that in my long life they were there, but I never brought them out. Your interest, your enthusiasm, we, some of the disciples of Prabhupada, his godbrother, after Prabhupada had left, were at his feet, and we had a keen interest to know the mysteries of devotion now that our teacher had, had passed, where had he gone, what is the implication, what will we do now, and so forth. So, in effect, in his estimation, we drew many things out by our enthusiasm, by our interest. The Bhagavad is, of course, a conversation between the Raj, Parikshit, and the boy, Sukadev. It's a wonderful contrast, isn't it? Think of it. The Raj, the emperor, really, Samrat, Parikshit, you can, the whole idea, of course we don't have much kings and many queens these days, but the concept of monarchy, the king, the emperor, it's supposed to conjure up in our mind the epitome of, of material acquisition and control, royalty, and ruling over wealth and anything at one's disposal. You know, they're peeling the grapes for him, kind of a situation. And we find this throughout the Bhagavatam, we'll find mention of kings and so forth. And this is uh, one of the primary messages. The prime, one of the two primary characters is the Raj Parikshit. And the other is the boy Sukadev. So one is wise, you would think, and older, having been successful in his material acquisition, success is thought to be, for the most part, uh, measured by our material progress. The Bhagavad wants to change that story, question that, and very strongly it questions that just by the characters, the principal characters. On the one end is a man of some material maturity and accomplishment, and the other is a boy of 16 with no clothes. No clothes and no formal education. And Sutta Goswami, another principal player within the text, it's a text of conversations within conversation within conversations and stories, answers to questions that take us within stories that have questions and answers in them and so forth. A little difficult to follow, but if you follow carefully, it all does connect. So Sutta Goswami, we find him before when he speaks offering his respect to Sukadev, who had no formal education. He underwent no sangskar. He was born and he left, entered into the woods. So he's ostensibly uneducated, unclothed, for that matter, and just a child. And the king is well-educated, sophisticated, cultured man of material acquisition and maturity, and the balance of importance ostensibly shifts to Sukadev, 
over the king. But then if we look further at the king, we find his inquiries were earnest. Of course, they appear to be circumstantial in that circumstances were such that he was told he had seven days to live. He had some kind of a cancer, like it was predicted he would be bitten by a snake, a flying snake, some strange thing like cancer. It's rather odd, a modern disease. So he had seven days to live, so he made earnest inquiry. Of course, more about his life is there in the Bhagavatam um, in the context of the storyline, and we find that he was a devotee as well. But the king and the boy, this contrast is important to note. It's, it speaks to us very loudly. The Bhagavad's idea is progress in life is not based on material acquisition. It will not be measured by the measure of our acquisition and ability to rule and control, but rather by our ability <coughs> to look within and to let go of all the things that are holding us back from doing so and let go of the identity that is formed by our sense of my. As I said before, a very small word of two letters has huge implications in our lives. When we say my, then we're in trouble. Every time we say my, our sense of mine, our my, as I've said many times, defines our I. Do you follow me? Think about it. When I say is my partner, my car, my house, my country, I'm defining myself, really. My sense of what I am, who I am, is determined by my desires and my attachments. It's determined by where and to what extent I've extended myself, consciousness, into things. When I extend myself into things by saying, it's my car, I lose the sight of the fact that it's me that's extending myself into the car, into the house, into a particular set of clothes that makes them important to me, that gives them any value. So what's valuable is me. And me means I, in another sense, in an essential sense, consciousness. Consciousness has the capacity to extend itself. It's extending itself throughout the body and beyond the body to identify with family, friends, nation. So I'm Finnish. I'm American. I'm a Mercedes guy, you know, or I'm a Marlboro man or whatever until I die of cancer on that horse from coughing in too many commercials. And so it is with this identity based on my it cannot endure because why? Nothing is mine. This is this very simple sense, the message of Sugadev, without him saying anything, just the depiction of him. He didn't think anything was his. He didn't have any sense that anything belonged to him. And as much as he developed that sense that nothing belonged to him, we find that he didn't need anything, not even clothes. But the king, who had everything, had a great crisis when he was notified that he was going to die in seven days. It was a huge crisis. 
for him. Why is it a crisis? Because his identity was all based on things and all those things would be taken away, demonstrating that nothing belonged to him. I mean, the world couldn't speak louder to us about this point and we could not be more deaf to carry on the way that we do. Sukadev came as the answer to the king. He's the answer to us, to all of us, who think that we can make a life, an enduring life, a meaningful life, a happy life. It's based on attachment to things that don't endure. That an identity based on such attachments will be enduring. We're trying to preserve that. That's our struggle for existence. Sukadev had no struggle. Such a beautiful message. This is the beginning then of the narrative. We have some chapters to go through before we arrive at the narrative of Sukadev speaking to Parikshit. It begins actually in the second canto. But they are the main players, the main characters. So Sukadev spoke and Vyas was even in the audience. Later Vyas is apparently writing it all down. And he may know the meaning, he may not know the meaning. But if we lend ourselves, so to speak, to participate in this equation, the equation being the hearer and the speaker. Parikshit Maharaj was the inquirer, the listener. Parikshit means inquirer. And Sukadev was the speaker, Sukha. Sukha means parrot. So it's said that the parrot, when eating the mango blossom, it means that the mango is becoming ripe. Sometimes they say if he eats the mango, the mango becomes more ripe. But I haven't seen that. But at any rate, the parrot is said to make the with his beak the mango more sweet, the fruit more sweet. So Sugadev spoke this fruit, ripened fruit that is described, we'll hear in a couple of verses, of the tree of Vedic knowledge in the form of Srimad Bhagavatam and made it that much more sweet. He learned it actually in one form from his father Vyas, just very briefly. He left home with no education, that's true, but his father sent some woodcutter singing some verses of the Bhagavatam into the forest. Sugadev heard them. And it had a, an effect upon him, a very powerful effect. He had absorbed himself in Brahman, but when he heard about the leelas of Krishna, he became attracted to them. It's a powerful uh, message, also of the Bhagavatam, a very foundational method, message, that the leelas of Krishna are not material. They attract self-realized souls, Brahman-realized souls, those who have left the world behind. They become attracted to the form, to the quality, to the name of Krishna. So he had no attraction to anything material, but he became attracted to Krishna. So he came back, he heard something of Srimad Bhagavatam. That is like more than education, not a formal education. Near Grantha, it is said to be like more than a book, beyond books. Uh, so... At any rate, we have the inquirer and we have the speaker. So both have a part to play. And the speaker thinks, when speaking the Bhagavatam, will say things that he or she has never said before. And the setting is for 
facilitating that current flow. So Ramananda Roy said, I've said things, but they're all coming from you. You're the speaker, you're the questioner, I'm the answer, but really I'm just like a violin and you're playing the strings. This way he cited this verse, the second line, which says, Tene Brahmarudayadikuvye, that Krishna amplified the Vedic knowledge in the heart of Brahma, thereby gave him the power to create and perform his duties and so forth. Second time that this verse is cited then, uh, or a second time, that's actually the second time, the first time is when he spoke it to Prakashananda Saraswati. But let me speak about the third time he spoke it, that was to Sanatana Goswami. Second time to Ramananda Roy, third time to Sanatana. Sanatana Goswami is the architect of our Sampradaya in a sense. He designed it. What will be the mantras? What will be the dress? What will be the, the procedures and rituals and so forth? What will be the sadachar, the behavior, the standards of behavior and character? So he gave form, he gave shape to the sampradaya. And he did so having heard from Chaitanya Mahaprabhu in Banaras. At the onset of Sanatana Siksha, as it's sometimes referred to, the teachings, Siksha, instructions of Chaitanya Dev to Sanatana and Chaitanya Charitamrita, it covers about three or four chapters. It begins by Mahaprabhu telling him that he's going to uh, explain to him the essence of the Bhagavatam. Sanatana Goswami was already very learned in the Bhagavatam, even before he met Chaitanya Dev. He was a minister in the Muslim administration of Bengal. And his position there as a minister was so high in the administration that for all intents and purposes he would be the prime minister when the prime minister himself was out of station, away on business and out of state. So he would be in charge. So he was in a very prominent position himself materially. But he became attracted to news that he heard of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. And uh, he even corresponded, along with his younger brother Rupa, with Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, with expressing a desire to join them. Mahaprabhu advised him in a note that, uh, by which he replied that he said, a woman who has a paramour an adulterous lover keeps herself at home and very, very dutifully performs her household responsibilities. The more, it's interesting constantly, the more her mind is there, the more she pays attention to her duty so that she'll not be found out, something like that. So that was a rather odd response in one sense. But they took it to mean maybe a couple of things. One of them, they took to mean that we should remain in the kingdom despite our attraction to Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, who's leading a life that's kind of the opposite of the kingdom and the acquisition and ruling over the state overtly and so forth and, and so on. And, but we should be careful, we should keep that in our heart 
and be careful because these Muslims are a little dangerous. <laughs> they were thinking in those days. Also, it's happened to come to pass these days as well. Of course, Hindus, any fundamentalist can be dangerous. That's for, that's for sure. Hare Krishna fundamentalists are particularly dangerous, I found. And there's a lot of them. But um, he said you should be careful. Well, they'll, likely they'll cut off your head if they find you of uh, attraction to me and you want to leave your duties and so on and so forth. So you be very careful. Do all your duties very responsibly so they won't suspect you. But of course, you think of me, and meanwhile, that would rage in his heart, and the implication would be he'd find a way in due course. Perhaps the overriding and more subtle message is, of course, that it speaks about parakya love, which is what Chaitanya Mahaprabhu came to taste in the highest reach of what he offered to those who, who drank from his cup to follow in the footsteps of the wives of Brudge and and engage in paramour, parakya love with Krishna. So, at any rate, Sanatan stayed and and in the absence of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, he studied Srimad Bhagavatam. We've already explained the two are one. You cannot separate them. But in all of his spare time, but he became so drawn to to the study of Srimad Bhagavatam and he would keep himself in an assembly with so many pundits discussing Srimad Bhagavatam. But he became, as a result of that, finally he became unable to perform his duties. So he got found out, if you will, by the king, and indeed he was imprisoned and so forth. Then he managed to negotiate with the, with the prison guard in such a way as to escape. The story goes, and then he went and he joined Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, and Mahaprabhu proceeded to instruct him instrument Bhagavatam. So he was the most learned in our Sampradaya in, in, in Srimad Bhagavatam. He wrote a treatise, which is the seminal treatise of, of Gaudiya Sampradaya, called Brihat Bhagavatamritam. He wrote a commentary on the Bhagavat itself. His commentary is followed by Vishwanath, by, by Jiva Goswami, by Vishwanath Chakvitakur, and all subsequent acharyas. Again, in his Hari Bhakti Vilas, he gave the whole architecture for the whole Sampradaya. So it's and tomorrow is his disappearance day, the Guru Purnim. Um, so the most learned in Srimad Bhagavatam. Still, he became the student of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu in Srimad Bhagavatam. And in the context of the Sikshanatan Siksha, where Chaitanya Dev is, is instructing Sanatana Goswami in everything, based as it is in his teaching on Srimad Bhagavatam, he at one point was reminded of what appeared to be his scholarship that Sanatan the scholar had heard about when previously he had explained one verse of Srimad Bhagavatam in 60-some different ways to the great Sarvabhoma and just dazzled the mind of that big famous logician. And so with some scholarly curiosity, Sanatan said, I've heard in the past that you recited this one verse of the Bhagavatam and explained it in 60-some different ways. I wonder if you could like, you know, because you're teaching me Srimad Bhagavatam, you might want to explain those 64 different ways. Sarvabhum had explained it in seven different ways and he thought, that's pretty exhaustive. Seven different ways of explaining every different, you know, it's all the words and 
Mahabhu said it was interesting, but it, not that much. And he explained in 61 different ways, and all the ways of Sarvabhoma were wrong in comparison. So, Mahabhu, what did he say? He said at that time, I don't know what overcame me at that time. Actually, Sarvabhoma was my teacher, but something possessed me, and what came out of my mouth, I cannot say. But if you want me to say something about this verse, I'll try again. And again, he gave, I think, in this instance, 64 different explanations to Sanatana. So one thing we're to draw from this is the book has some depth of meaning. <laughs> it's oceanic, and to plumb the depths of that, that will take us a long time. That will take us uh, many lifetimes. And the nature of the subject matter, as we learn, is such that it continues on after our mortal demise. It's of an eternal um, nature, the subject matter, supra-transcendental. So, at any rate, Mahaprabhu spoke this first verse to Sanatana. The context was this. He was explaining to Sanatana Goswami the nature of the descent of the Absolute. We call it avatara. Avatara, to Tara, to cross from up to down. Avatara. And he explained many different types of avatars. Shaktyavesha avatar, Anvantar avatar, Lila avatar, Guna avatar, Yuga avatar. So many different kinds. This is an example of the depth and breadth and the complexity of the theology of Gaudiya Vaishnavism that sometimes in India or even now in the West you can find people that say they're avatars of God and they say I'm Krishna, I'm Ram there are some but if you ask them which type are you? No Gaudi would say that and if you're not a Godi, then how do you reply? Well, uh, what do you mean? <laughs> so are you are you Guna Avatar? Are you Manvantara Avatar? Are you Yuga Avatar? Are you a Shaktivesha Avatar? I'm the full thing. I say, I even have Radha. <laughs> then we say, where's Sridham and Subhal <laughs> and Yashoda and Nanda? <laughs> And so on. So, in a way, all this expanded explanation of the nature of Bhagwan, of, of God, it's extraordinary. But awareness of it, knowledge of it from, in the Gaudiya school is helpful by way of enabling us, or better equipping us to discriminate with regard to false claims to divinity, which is one of the huge problems for the religious um, sector. Imposters, misrepresentation, in the priesthood and so forth is the basis of the whole religion in Finland, practically. So, <laughs> now there's just a huge scandal in Italy, maybe you read about it, that they, it's too ugly to talk about, but huge scandal in the priesthood in the Vatican circle area there. So, anyway, some knowledge here in the Gaudiya, what is the nature of guru and so forth, all things, these are Things are explained at some length. And the nature of God. So here's an example. Different types 
of appearances of divinity within the, within the world. So we should be somewhat acquainted with this. It's not just for academic purposes, a little complex, but anyway, Sanatan was taught directly by Chaitanya Mahaprabhu these things. And so in the context of this, Chaitanya Dev cited this verse, and what he meant by it at that time was what? That he wanted to say that satyam param, this verse says, Om namo bhagavate vasudevaya janmadi asya yataha anvayat itarataha cha arteshu abhignas parat tene brahma rudayadi kavye muhyante yatsurayo tejo varimadam nitabhinimayo yatartrisargo misha dhamna svenasada nirastha kuvakam satyam param demahi. He said satyam param. He said, the Godhead, the avatar will be known by his principle, tathastalakshan and marginal. Tathastalakshan is marginal characteristics and his, his principal characteristics and marginal characteristics. And also, he'll be known from the sacred text. So the sacred text and then the personal character, and in the character there will be primary characteristics and secondary characteristics. So he cited this verse, and he said, Satyam Param, that is the principle, I say, Swarup Lakshan of the God. It's Satyam Param, that he is the supreme truth. And everything else in this verse, which is quite a bit, is describing his then marginal characteristics. Here the marginal characteristics are defining him, as we'll see in time here, as, as Krishna himself, ultimately, although some of them may refer to different, different descents or avatars of Krishna. So Mahaprabhu used the verse in this way. <clears throat> Later again, I say, say or earlier I should say, he spoke at the Prakashan on the Saraswati, the great uh, Vedanta, the Advaitan, I should say, and uh, in Banaras. So, twice this verse was spoken in Banaras. Uh, twice the Bhagavatam was instructed there, two different occasions, once to a devotee to further his understanding and once to a non-devotee to convert him. The conversion of Prakashananda Saraswati is very uh, significant in Chaitanya Charitamrita. Mahaprabhu quoted this verse after having really created a teachable moment by diminishing the pride of Prakashananda Saraswati. He went and sat in the midst of the sannyasis and uh, at, at the door where they kept their shoes humbly and seeing his humility, they were much taken by that. And at the time he expanded his aura, which is what they were trying to enter into. They realized the Brahman that we are trying to think about and know by Gyan has come before us. And he's not proud like us. He's very humble, even though he's the actual center. We thought we were the center, and it made us a little proud. And we could not identify the center when he was celebrating himself in the streets in emotional ecstasy in Sankirtan. We thought, what kind of sannyasi is this? Simply <laughs> taking to emotional singing and dancing? This will not be good 
for the sannyas order, people will wonder what's become of the sannyasis who are supposed to be sober, study the Vedanta, not be taken by a tide of emotions, and so forth. Prakasananda wanted to educate Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, but he was the personified knowledge and more that the the Prakashananda and his students were trying to understand by their study. But the way of their study, the method of their study, was making them proud, not humble. And this was borrowing them from actually knowing. They called him a bhavukaha, which is a word used later in two verses ahead. Bhuvi bhavukaha. Rasika bhuvi bhavukaha. You have to be a bhavukaha. To understand Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, a bit of a, a bit emotional, poetic, Arasika, you're gonna be a dry gani. His chanting and dancing were not movements that he made out of incompleteness, out of a lack. The Advaitins will think that if you move, you must be unfulfilled. Therefore, those who are full, they sit. If you're full, satisfied in the self, why move? But Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's teaching, of course, is if you're full, you'll move. If you're really full, then that fullness will cause a celebration. Just like some people are just happy and for no reason, but just because they're so fulfilled, they cry out, Hadibol. Their arms go up and they dance. Not because they want anything, but because they have everything. So lila is not something tied to guna, the material qualities, but it is transcendental to the material qualities. It's the fullness of the Absolute celebrating itself. This Prakashananda took to be only something under the gunas. But when Mahabhu did show up for lessons... He was so humble that he embarrassed them. And then, in the midst of that, he manifested his effulgence, the tejas, the light of Brahman that the, the Advaitins seek to identify themselves with in all respects, an absolute kind of monism. So they were startled by this. And then they became humble, and Prakashananda became the student of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu and asked him to educate him. And Mahaprabhu began with saying that you should study Srimad Bhagavatam and do Nam Kirtan. Srimad Bhagavatam is the natural commentary on, on the Vedanta Sutra. This is a core tenet of Gaudiya Vaishnavism. In this regard, we find the Guru Purana has made the statement, Artoyam Brahma Sutranam. He said, Mahabhubhu told him that Srimad Bhagavatam is a commentary on Gayatri. Gayatri Bhashiruposo, Vedarta Paribrimita. It is the essence of the Mahabharata and the, and so on and so forth, so many qualities it has. They were steeped, of course, in studying the, the Vedanta Sutra. Mahabharata said, you should study Srimad Bhagavatam. It's much easier to study, much more relishable. And everything is found there. And principally what is found there, he quoted this verse. And he said, in this we first, first we find Satyam Param Dimahi. He said, in Satyam Param we find the Sambandha, and in Dimahi, 
He said, Satyam Param Sambandha Sadhana Prayojana Dimahi. In Dimahi, in the word Dimahi, we find Abhideya and we find Prayojana. So these are three important terms. In fact, in Gaudiya Vaishnavism, the three principal deities, Madan Mohan, Govindadev, and Gopinath, they are thought to preside over these three principles. So this is a, a different... Now, by saying this, we're teaching a different philosophy than Advaita Vedanta here. Knowledge of the self is relational. So we will know ourselves. Sambandha means relation. We will know ourselves comprehensively in relation to Bhagwan, who is the Satyam Param. You may be Satyam, but you're not Param. You may also be truth. That means that which endures rather than false, like all material things that are here today and gone tomorrow. They're false in that sense. You cannot put any stock on them. You can't invest in them. They're not reliable. The whole show of material existence is such. The sun is burning out. What should we do about it? If you were to make a parade through Helsinki with banners and the sun, it's burning out. The sun, it's burning out. And you have statements. The sun is burning. People would think you're absolutely crazy. <laughs> right? But it's true. And, and, and this is a kind of an overall idea in Gaudiya Vaishnavism. The world of things doesn't endure. The most important things in life are not things. Again, material acquisition and so forth. So what's important is you. Again, you extend yourself into things and they become important to you. Because it's my house, it's important. If it's your house and it's, the bank took it back, it's not so bad. Unless you're my friend. And therefore, I spend time sometimes in your house and I kind of feel like it's mine too. <laughs> so the point is, again, like I said earlier, our consciousness extends itself into things and those things take on a life. We identify with them and develop an identity based on such false sense of ownership and this identity is condemned to die. <laughs> to die. It cannot endure. What you are is that self. We extend ourselves into the house, into the set of clothes, into a partner or whatever, and we think that that thing, that, that, that car is important. But what's important is me, because when I'm not in the other car, it's not important. When I'm not, by a sense of proprietorship, false sense of proprietorship or ownership or my in another house, it has no meaning to me. Houses are being foreclosed all the time. It only bothers you if you think mine might be. Otherwise, as long as mine isn't. So that my, again, and we're back to this point, it's a significant point. It means that we are important, but we are consciousness. We are not the things we extend ourselves in and the identity that derives from that. So we are an enduring principle. That's good news. But why are we in the predicament that we're in where we're thinking we're not an enduring principle because we're in a satyam, but we're not param? So he said, this is the sambandha, satyam param. There is a supreme satyam. Yes, you're also satyam. But you have a relationship with the satyam param. And to forge that relationship, this is called bhakti. And that bhakti is the abhideya, the means, the sadhana. And because that supreme, absolute, satyam param is brahman, 
the great one, the absolute, it will be known by meditation. Atato, Brahmajignasu. This is how the Srimad Bhagavatam, or excuse me, the Vedanta Sutra begins. Srimad Bhagavatam begins, Satyam Param Dhimahi. Is saying, meditate. The Sutra says, Atato, Brahmajignasu. Now is the time to inquire about Brahman. Speaking to us, now you should inquire about Brahman. You have a human life. If you're a little pious, all the better. How much more you may be qualified to make such an inquiry. Wherever you have satsanga, association with saints, and you develop an interest in this, then, yes, inquiry. And how do you inquire about Brahman? The inquiry is made, the pursuit, in other words, is through meditation, is going within. <coughs> Here the meditation, satyam param, dhimahi. Dhimahi is the meditation. Must be in the plural, huh? Satyam param dhimahi. Jayam sada. Mahaprabhu was described. Jayam sada. Who can be meditated upon always? This jayam. That means, how can you always meditate in any condition? Mahaprabhu taught. What did he say? Nam namakari bahudani jisarva shakti tatrarpita niyamita smarane nakala. Smarane means remembrance. He said, you can do this. Nam smaranam. He's talking about Sankirtan, but even he used the word smart. It means this. Kirtan, this will foster this, this smaranam. What is the statement from Bhaktisiddhanta? Kirtana prabhave, smarana swabhave. Kirtan reigns amongst the means for spiritual progress in Kali Yuga. Bhagavatam Krishna swadhamo pagate dharma jnana dibhisaha kalo nashtadishamesha Purana Kodunuditaha. This will come shortly, this verse. With the departure of Krishna, the question was asked, who is accompanied by wherever he goes? Knowledge and righteousness. How will we, we be protected? Where will we find knowledge and righteousness and so forth? And this is the answer. Uh, you will get light from Srimad Bhagavatam. So, Kirtan. In Kali Yuga, the book for Kali Yuga is Srimad Bhagavatam. Over and over it emphasizes Kirtanam. The last words of Srimad Bhagavatam, the final verse, rests with an emphasis on Sankirtan. This is the teaching of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. So he cannot be divorced from Srimad Bhagavatam. He is the embodiment of Sankirtan. We spoke about him being the embodiment of the esoteric internal message the deepest reach of the Bhagavatam, in the terms of its outreach as a means that it recommends, he personifies it as well. Throughout Bhagavatam, this kirtan is emphasized. So, dimahi is a plural. You kind of don't think of meditating as altogether. You think of meditating alone. Go in a quiet place and meditate. A plural meditation. We can extend to this idea it is a recommendation for kirtan by which, practically speaking, alone meditation will be effective, it will be accomplished, will be possible. It will foster that, it will strengthen one in, in such smaranam. This is the rule of Kali Yuga. So many people talk about meditation. Kirtan has become more popular actually these days. So satyam param dhimahi, and that kirtanam or that meditation that it fosters 
that it's so relevant to progressing on the marg, the path chalked out by Chaitanya Mahaprabhu to follow in the footsteps of the the Brajbasins, the inhabitants of Vrindavan, Krishna's intimate emotional circle. That kirtan, that meditation, is a means, sadhana, abhideya, and it is an end, prayojan, it is the fruit. In its unripe form, it has a utilization, just like in Costa Rica, where we have an ashram there, a beautiful jungle monastery. When the mango season comes, before they're ripe, you can find all the local people picking the green mangoes and eating them with a little salt, like a salad, you know, kind of a thing. I mean, it doesn't compare to a ripe mango, but it is a mango. <laughs> it's a green mango, and in time it, it will ripen, but it has some utilization even in its green stage, add a little salt, something like that. In the beginning, a little knowledge, a little renunciation might be helpful. But the main thing is the mango, a little salt. Sadhana bhakti has some fruit. It will cleanse the heart. In its ripe and mature form, then it will be understood. Nam and the name and the name, the one and the same. And all that is packed in the name. What's in the name? Quite a bit, right? Therefore we say, did you get his name? Then we can catch him. If they catch your social security number, they can take your whole identity. Empty out your bank account. So what's in the name? In the name of Krishna, everything about him is there. His, his form is none different from his name. That shows you when you look at the deity and you have not realized the name is non different. What, what do you see? How much are you seeing? That's why you might get tired of viewing. You're not seeing the whole thing. You have to see with your heart, the clean heart. And the means is Nam Kirtan. The deity may be helpful. For what? For doing Nam Kirtan. This is, the, this is the reigning kind of principle and practice for Kali Yuga. Hmm? And help us to be inspired. We take the name, and then as we grow, we bridge the gap between the deity and the name. They're one and the same. Having bridged the gap between the form and the name, then we become acquainted with the form in a particular way. And he's imbued with particular qualities that stand out to us relative to our progress and development and the nature, the quality, the the, the peculiarity of our love in a particular sentiment. So the guna, and the, there is a, a, uh, from nam smarnam, rup smarnam, guna smarnam, and then the lila begins to manifest in our heart. And so what's in the name? So much. This is the meditation recommended in Srimad Bhagavatam. Kirtan and the meditation that it fosters. And that kirtan is operative in terms of a means as a sadhana and it's operative in the, as a end as well. So just like it's a mango, whether it's, it's a mango, whether it's green or whether it's golden, it has utilization in both stages. So bhakti gives bhakti. 
We don't get bhakti from somewhere else. There aren't other things that we can do that will enhance our, enhance our bhakti. We think like that, I'll arrange all these things and then I'll do bhakti. It's better to do bhakti, right? In any situation. That is the teaching. Regardless of our ashram, regardless of our situation. Once one of my godbrothers said the Prabhupada in a walk, in a walk in, in the Chicago area, and he said, Prabhupada, I'm a householder and I cannot do much service, so can you recommend anything to me? And Prabhupada at that time responded, it is a haituki, there is no impediment, apratihata. Bhakti is not dependent on any external arrangement. You can do in any situation. Don't think I'm a grihasta, therefore I cannot do bhakti and much. And No. So we need that kind of association <laughs> to set us straight and help us, inspire us in our given situation to apply ourselves. Renunciation is more of a fruit than it is a practice in bhakti. So it's important <laughs> So satyam param dhimahi, he told him, this Bhagavatam is so nice. It deals with these three subjects, as the opening verse indicates with these three words, sambandha, abhideya, and prayojana, a conceptual orientation to the absolute, whereby one sees oneself as the part, Krishna as the whole. That orientation includes understanding the material world, its relationship with the Absolute. We'll see as we discuss this first, these things are all coming out further in the verse. But a conceptual orientation that fosters a certain type of activity. However we orient ourselves conceptually, it's going to foster some type of action. So an orientation that fosters bhakti. And by engaging in bhakti, there's a fruit. The fruit is more bhakti that the bhakti becomes mature. So in this way he told, Srimad Bhagavatam deals with these subjects. What more do you want than that? Study Srimad Bhagavatam. It again, he said, is the commentary laid out the sutra that makes understanding those complex sutras very easy. They were written in shorthand by Vyas, like notes. Here he's written out in longhand, an explanation of those notes. I've seen one devotee scholar had written a book, has written a book and every verse of Srimad Bhagavatam has shown how it explains one or two sutras of Vedanta Sutra. So he's demonstrating this point. It's a nice service that Srimad Bhagavatam is a commentary on Vedanta Sutra. It's not just an over-glorification. It is actually the longhand explanation of those sutras, which, as he said, I said the first day I came, was the first attempt in human society at theology, to, which is theology which is about thinking about and showing some order to revelation, making sense out of revelation. So, at any rate, now, this is how Chaitanya Mahaprabhu cited this verse. I guess tomorrow morning we'll be on this. We'll start talking more directly about the verse, which lends itself to many, many meanings, all taking us in the same direction, of course. Down the road of devotion, so, and love. Are there any questions? What's the time now? 5.07. Any comment? Yes. Uh, I assume that there are some listeners in the audience who are not... What's that? 
I assume that there are some listeners in the audience who are not so familiar with the concepts of Sambanda, Ovidea and Prajana, so maybe you can elaborate a bit on those. Well, as I said, uh, every, all of us have some kind of... Sambanda means, it means relationship, so it means that it's a kind of knowledge. So it's relational knowledge. It means it accepts, there's a Vedantic kind of a aphorism, what is that? Sarvam kalo idam brahma. Everything is Brahman. Pujapachita Marsh once explained it. All things are Brahman. The statement doesn't do away with all things. But it identifies all things as Brahman. So they're all things and there's Brahman. All things are Brahman. So it, the idea here with Sambandha is that, as we'll see when we study the verse tomorrow, we posit here a kind of a pan-entheistic understanding of existence. Panentheism. It's a kind of a pantheism where the Godhead is identified with everything, but panentheism, he's above it. Something like Eckhart. I don't know if he was excommunicated from the church or not. Maybe he was allowed back in or something. Meister Eckhart must have been a German. He had kind of a panentheism. Although pantheism by and large is not much is not embraced by Western religious tradition. It's a qualified kind of pantheism. So the Godhead is everything, but but aloof from everything at the same time, different from it at the same time. So we're we're one with God. This is the kind of knowledge I call we call it relational knowledge. So we're one with God. We're satyam, as I said. We're a unit of truth. We're an enduring unit of existence. We're not false in that we're here today, but we're gone tomorrow. We say dreams are false because they disappear. Everything evaporates, right? How real is it? We don't, is the point. So we're real, so we're, we're like God in that respect. But he's param. He doesn't fall into the conception that we're not real, or that I'm temporary, that I have to struggle like we do. So there's a difference between us at the same time. So relational knowledge. What is the self in relation to the God? What is the self? What are we in relation to matter? What is matter in relation to God? So, samana means this kind of knowledge, relational knowledge. Ultimately, you can say it means what is our relationship with God in a general sense, in a specific sense. But according to the, the Bhagavad, we're called tatasta. It means marginal. It means we're kind of largely identified by our surrounding. So if we identify with matter, as I said, we develop an identity based on that attachment. If we identify with the Godhead, we become attached to God. We have an identity based on that. That's a real identity because the Godhead is consciousness and we are consciousness. The identity that's formed by attachment to matter is unreal because matter is not real in its form, in its shape, it takes. So it disappears. So that's not an enduring identity. So this kind of knowledge and this idea is that if you get oriented in life with this kind of knowledge, sambandagyan, then that orientation to life, conceptually how you think about what things are, fosters a certain type of activity. Whatever your conceptual orientation is, you're going to act accordingly. You know, If your religion is, I'm a vegan, you know, you're going to orient yourself around that in your life and act in a certain way. So there's a certain conceptual orientation that fosters bhakti, 
naturally. That's the Abhideya. So the conceptual orientation is, as I'm speaking, it's kind of a theoretical understanding. Bhakti then is the means to bring that theory to life and realize it. And the realization of it, that is called the prayojan. That's the fruit. Does that help? Another question? Well, I realize these topics, some of them are a little complex and some of the terminology, as Mohan has pointed out, some of you may not be that familiar with, but then again, some people are very familiar with it and they're here also, so it's important to talk and try to talk in such a way that everyone will feel there's something to be drawn from this. So uh, some people will be a little bored maybe when I talk about something they've already heard. I try to talk about it a little differently each time, but... And some people will feel it's over my head at a, certain, at a certain point, while others are thinking, well, that's interesting, I've heard that before. So as much as those here feel, some of this is over my head, I'm not following that. So you kind of like drift away at that point. Others may drift away for other reasons, because they think, I've already heard that. They're wrong, but they haven't really understood it. <laughs> so there's a little drifting on everybody's part, so no one should feel on, on at ease. Uh, I find it all interesting. <laughs> and I'm trying to talk about it, as I say, in such a way that everyone will get some benefit. So just a word for mixed audience, um, people of different levels of acquaintance and so forth. There's something here for everybody. We're serving the full meal. Eat as much as you like. <laughs> okay, we'll meet again in the morning. Do you have a question? Mm, I was thinking about if you could say a little bit more about the relationship of uh, kirtana and meditation uh, in the life of a practitioner who who doesn't really have taste for meditation yet. But so, how should we, like in practical terms, combine the two, and which one should be emphasized, like in, in the daily? Well, uh, the chanting should emphasize and. It will bring about meditation of its own accord. Otherwise, you can try to fix your mind on the form of the Lord and and chant. Chant the name and you can think of the form of Krishna. And that's just a basic... I mean, I could give a long answer, as you probably expect, but I think I shouldn't right now. So maybe we'll go into that and we've got a few more days here and I don't want to take up too much of your time there's other things to do here you can go to the sauna you can go to the Arctic <laughs> you can chat amongst one another and so forth so we'll stop there okay <laughs>